not always right, but I'm never wrong. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I have lovely small feet, the best in the family. My name is Shahir Dowd. Highly accurate. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Little Women. Little Women. Now, just how little are these women? They're, I mean, they seemed average size. Yeah. But Normal. Yeah. I was surprised by that. Uh, well, not as advertised. Where, <laughs> that was where <laughs> your mind went first. This, is, <laughs> this uh, many times over redone tale. Yeah. No, it was the first thing I think. I think it's a quote from Joey from Friends, by the way. Oh, it, well, <laughs> I mean, who am I to besmirch the good name of Joey Tribbiani? That's right. But I am very excited about this episode because we've just been doing this banter with another person in the room, which is always <laughs> awkward. I'm very excited because Izzy from Be Kind Rewind joining us today to be discussing Little Woman. How are you, Izzy? I'm I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. We're, I, I I couldn't think of a better person to be here because the, one of the most recent videos that you had done on YouTube was comparing all versions of Little Women. Almost uh, all. Almost yeah. all. And this has actually prompted me to watch several versions of Little Women prior to this episode. But oh, I, I mean, I'm curious. Uh, tell me a little bit about your YouTube channel and what you're, what you're doing out there. So my tu- YouTube channel is called Be Kind Rewind. It is sort of using the Academy Awards Best Actress category as a lens to kind of explore the industry and different actresses and what their stories are and how they basically survived. Right. Um, working in entertainment. A couple of like really great examples was uh, I, I recently watched the Meryl Streep episode, uh, obviously in relate, you know, which will come up in some ways in relation to this yeah. film. But the one I was really fascinated by was Anna Manani. Manani, yeah. Manani, sorry, mm-hmm. my pronunciation is what well. I, mm-hmm. I knew about her from uh, Rome Open City, but I didn't mm-hmm. really know a lot about her. Yeah. But your video, which uh, everyone should check out, by the way, it's on YouTube, yes. BK Rewind mm-hmm. is the is the handle, uh, is incredible. And I it really, like, I again, I wanted to go off and watch, like, every Manani film that she'd ever been in. Because I think the lens that you paint her with, or the discussion that you have around her, mm-hmm. um, is really fact. I mean, it would be, it's not unfair to say that a lot of um, what you're talking about is uh, women in the industry. And yes. and the role women play in the industry and how the industry treats women as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that like is that a sort of particular focus of interest for you, or? Yeah, I think I've always been interested in the, in this in some capacity. Uh, when I started getting into movies, the way that I sort of explored it was through actresses. So mm. if I was really interested in Katherine Hepburn, I would just watch all of her movies right, and right. then move on to the next person that I thought was really interesting. And so for me, it's always just been a natural way to kind of find the next thing that's really going to spark my curiosity. Um, and it's just been really, really fun to kind of share how I think about movies and what makes me really excited with with new audiences. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're doing a fantastic job that you have uh, nine million plus uh, views on your channel <laughs> right now, which is phenomenal. Um, and just the, the breath. I, I mean, I do like the sort of lens of looking at these specific um, women a lot of times are just sort of like just actresses going down the line if I, and I hate asking this question but I'm going to do it anyway because <laughs> it's it's what I'm always interested in. we try to get a um an idea of, of, of the guests on the show's uh, cinematic tastes, let's say. So sure. if your if your lens into this originally was just sort of finding an actress and then going through their their um, docket of work, mm-hmm. um, doesn't have to be like your top three or whatever, but like just sort of coming to mind some of your favorites that you've found that you've that you've I guess liked more than disliked all of their uh, body of work. Oh, interesting. Or even even like the films that kind of got you excited yeah. about making this channel. Yeah. Um, oh, that's really hard. I mean, I just have so much. <laughs> I have so much affection for so many of them. Um, but I think I think Jane Fonda is one of my favorites. Right. Um, nice. Just because I mean, Oop. obviously her body of work is so amazing, but just as a person, she's just so intense and so 
purposeful with every single thing she does in life. And I just think that's so fascinating. Recently um, incarcerated Jane Fonda. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Multiple times. Yeah. yeah. Um, just because she kind of touches on so many different spheres. It's not just Hollywood. It's also very like political and right. um, business even. Yeah. So she's one. Um, I mean, I, I love... Marlena Dietrich. She yeah, was the first person I ever made a video about, which I just never released. But oh, was, really? Like, oh, I'd yeah. be fascinated to see that. Um, I, I just love her so much. Um, I think she has kind of her niche, which is very almost quiet and just alluring in a way yeah. that I think is almost indescribable. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm just so fascinated by that and how she kind of played with gender to make her case for being this like sex symbol, which is amazing. Yeah. Um. And I guess just the power of Betty Davis. I love that she can just like yeah. <laughs> barrel through any situation and just make whatever she wants to happen happen. Yeah. So yeah, I guess those are my top. Nice. Okay. And and uh, I mean even even more to put you on the spot just slightly. But is there <laughs> is there is there a filmmaker or uh, an actress that you're sort of interested in doing a video about that you haven't done yet that you're kind of really wanting to you know explore a little bit further? Uh, so many. Yeah. Everybody keeps asking me to do the 1950 year with Betty Davis and Gloria Swanson, and I'm just avoiding it because I yeah. want to take so much time to do it, and I just I'm scared to do it wrong. No, that's the thing. Well, <laughs> and, and especially, and I'm learning this because I'm uh, um I I'm newer to the YouTube space than you are. Yeah. Um, and something that I've learned very quickly is when the audience wants a thing, and it's it's sort of like fervent for that thing. You do want to make sure it's the best it can possibly be, but then there's that sort of extra weird pressure, like even if it's something that you're excited about, even if it's something you feel knowledgeable about, you're like, but what if I don't <laughs> right. know enough like yeah. for the and so it's it's that's a that's a difficult uh, that's a difficult path to, to uh, traverse. Yeah, it's it's so hard. Yeah, because um, I don't want to let anyone down, and also I'm worried that the answer won't be satisfying. Like even if if I can't make a good narrative out of it, like I'm not going to force it. So right. Um, but- yeah, I don't know. The person I I think I, I'm not sure if you I haven't watched this video of yours, but do you did Olivia de Havilland? Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted did you do Joan Fontaine or did she come up in that conversation? She comes up in the conversation yeah. um, mostly because you know if they're, <laughs> they're sibling few, rivalry yeah. <laughs> or alleged sibling rivalry, <laughs> right, yeah. they kind of discuss it in different ways, which I think is interesting and probably a good hint that there is one. Yeah. Um, but yes, she does come up. In <laughs> the other, uh, I just, again, for our listeners, uh, I would highly recommend you check out these videos. The thing that I really appreciate about them is they're really highly well, uh, they're very strongly researched and they present a lot of evidence and facts um, um, behind the things that you're talking about. So, um, which <laughs> I got to be honest with you, it makes it a great resource for us. You know, like a lot of times on, I tend to avoid YouTube reviews, not because of the brand YouTube, but it tends to be fairly opinion as fact. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, know. that's yeah. one of the things, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, could, you could say that about us. I, I guess, well, yeah. yes and no. But the thing about the thing about his opinion is fact is uh, uh, I found at least a lot of times if there's a you know uh, quote unquote hot take that will get you more clicks faster than a, a normal unless you have sort of a pedigree, which again I feel like your work definitely does bring Izzy because uh, the thing like what what Sheer said absolutely true, incredibly well researched. But something I really appreciated about the uh, the videos, all of them that I've seen, is they are the exact perfect length no matter what length they are for the amount of information like it's it's the perfect uh, yeah. sort of like infusement of of info to length narrative and like there's a lot of youtubers that i that i do really enjoy that i'm like i wish you went into more depth on this or this is going on way too long because we're talking about something that doesn't have to do with it and you you really 
you really put the information full front forward, and it's and it's absolutely wonderful to just sort of uh, go through them. So, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I try because I'm very skeptical of that too, like the opinion versus fact thing. Yeah. yeah. And so I think one of the main goals for me is to like make my videos reveal something about the past that helps you become a more literate absorber mm-hmm. of media today. Yeah. Um, and so I think all of that can be very fact-based. Yeah. yeah. And so like to me, it's really just like outlining a narrative that can help, I don't know, understand what's going on and how women are treated. And Yeah. And I think, I mean, in particular in relation to this film in particular, I think being media, I mean, being uh, literate about its sources and where it comes from and how it reflects where we are today is is particularly important because this is a film, uh, Greta Gerwig's Little Women, that I think can be interpreted both as just a purely delightful sort of romp through, um, you know, uh, civil civil war uh, America, but it's also kind of, refl- it, it has this meta-narrative quality to it, which I think the more informed you are about how to read this particular yeah. film mm-hmm. will make will enrich in the experience, right? Like, it, it feels like um, your video in particular is a good primer for how to watch this movie mm. or and how to get a lot out of this movie. Um, and I think you know that's that's kind of what we are hoping that yeah it has know. it has uh, what I would call uh, the and I call with YouTube videos in general the dinner party moment and that <laughs> is when a YouTube video that you're watching has a fact uh, or a piece of history or something along those lines or, or just a, a scientific thing or anything that that is a thing where you can feel like a, a good smart person putting something <laughs> forward in a conversation at a dinner party like well oh right, did you yeah. know this that and the other thing so like yeah that's mm-hmm. uh, we're always striving for the dinner party moment. Moments, I find, uh, and your videos do that very much. So oh, good. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll call out when we get to it about Little Women what I thought your dinner party moment was in mm. okay. in yours when we when we arrive there. Yeah, I'm always kind of trying to make it like not obvious that I spent a month researching <laughs> this video. Yeah. It's like when people are talking about it and I'm just meeting them and they're like, oh, I thought this was interesting. And I want to just be like, uh, uh. <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, tamp down the nerd a little. Oh, please don't. Tamp <laughs> down, no, don't, don't, no. don't tamp down the nerd. It's a now. very nerdy space. I don't know what you see. It's Here, just, no. Okay. We're, Great. Unleashing nerd. Oh, good. Unleashing perfect. Yeah. perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, I want to just read out a couple of quick reviews. Uh, oh, one quick review that we had on iTunes this week. We only got one. Well, only we'll, one, yeah, yeah, but I'll pretend that it's more than that. <laughs> it means more than that in there my heart. There we go. Uh, this is from uh, Crystal Blue Felina uh, from Canada, uh, oh. who, write, who gives us five stars and writes in, whenever I watch a film afterwards, I'm excited to check out Matt and Shahir's perspective and deep dives into their thoughts on the film. It helps deepen my experience of films that I have watched. I love the balance of both perspectives. Uh, they bring both to the table as well as the knowledge and humor they bring to it and occasionally they're stuttering my favorite podcast about movies thank you very much Crystal Blue Fina. wow uh, that was so nice and cutting out all of our bad parts <laughs> yeah, this um, is, this thank you fun. very much that was that was very sweet um, yeah if you'd like to leave us a review Feel free. Uh, one star, you know, we take it, but we'd prefer the five. Uh, <laughs> iTunes it obviously helps out, uh, you know, letting people hear us and all that jazz. Also, I'm going to continue my campaign where if you like listening to uh, our cinematic uh, discussions, uh, please tell a friend. Beyond, you know, subscribing, beyond the stars and the reviews, you telling another person that you like this thing in person is probably the best form of flattery and advertising we can get. So if that is the case... Please tell a friend. If it's not the case, just don't Ignore just keep, that yeah, friend. just yeah, you'll be fine. Just don't mention it. Is that our dinner party moment? Is that no, <laughs> no, I hope not. <laughs> uh, Greta Gerwig's follow up to her uh, it was Oscar nominated Lady Bird, um, but also the interesting fact about this. Well, the interesting side part of this film that I think 
is something I want to raise but never really touch upon is the fact that this is the second film from the power couple that is Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig. We did Marriage Story a few uh, uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, my favorite thing about this, I think uh, last week was it last week? Yeah, well, we recorded. We, we recorded are recording as, schedules a little yeah, bit weird, but yes, it will have been last week to all of you hearing this. <laughs> my uh, favorite uh, my favorite uh, meme that I saw about this is that Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach can never separate because who would get Laura Dern in the custody battle? <laughs> <laughs> and that would be uh, a terrible tragedy to see one of them go, but she's so wonderful in both films. Matt, could you tell us what the IMDb synopsis is for Greta Gerwig's adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's Little Women? Uh, the... Absolutely. I would be Wait, honored. And, and just, is, which, how, how many have we gotten so far? How many Little Women's? What's the number? Uh, this is the fourth, but among like multiple plays among... and op- an opera a musical. and a musical yeah. and, and a TV manga. Shows. It was not a manga. There's oh, an yeah. Animation show. An animation yeah. show. So, I mean, there's dozens yeah fourth big american one right all right imdb says this is the plot of little women here we go joe march reflects back and forth on her life telling the beloved story of the march sisters four young women each determined to live life on their own terms that is fairly accurate for an imdb description um, oftentimes we find that uh, IMDb sometimes has some weird truncations or it's just not what the movie's about and you wonder who writes them. Yeah. <laughs> but that seems accurate. I mean, they've had a lot of years to get that one right, um, as far as this plot at least. Yeah. So that's good. Now, Izzy, uh, you have reviewed or discussed many of these. How Can you tell us what you, when you first saw Greta Gerwig's version, I know you've seen it a couple of times now, what was your initial impressions of the whole thing? I was really blown away. I was right in the middle of, or not in the middle. I had already written everything in my script about the other versions. Yeah. So it was all I had to do was see the new one and just kind of write about how it had compared to the others. And the minute the movie started and she was already in New York, I was like, holy crap. (laughs) It just felt so completely new and so refreshing to just kind of find these parallel moments in the March sisters' lives that um, I think made them feel more like real people as opposed to, you know, you're a child and then you get married and then your life is over. Right. Um, She just found so many human moments that I was so impressed and just so blown away by. Had had you uh, growing up? Had you read uh, Little Women before, or like I hadn't? You hadn't? Okay. No. Yeah. I'm bad about reading books that I should have read. <laughs> <laughs> I I am too in that boat as well. I yeah. have not read Little Women. At this yeah, point. and I got to say, I I hadn't read it. Uh, I've started reading it this week, and I'm go- I'm slowly making my way through it. But uh, I think that's a question mark that I want to kind of come to, uh, maybe put a pen in for later, because this is a beloved text. You know, there it's 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 often cited as one of the the great works of American literature. Uh, although initially didn't start that way. Initially started as kind of like uh, perceived as a uh, uh, fodder for. Uh, you know, a, a narrative about domesticity that, you know, perhaps was not as important as sort of Huckleberry Finn well, or think, To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. You even like mentioned it, the, the, the the deal uh, that she got yeah. was because they didn't think it was going to be. Right. A, why, would yeah. it, why would they expect it to do that well? Yeah. Yeah. That, so <laughs> just give it. She, it doesn't matter. Just give it to her. It's yeah. not like she's going to earn a lot from this. But <laughs> And then wait a minute. Then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, how about you? What did you, uh, you saw this, uh, I think, the most recent out of all of us. I did. I saw it two nights ago, Yeah, I think. Um, I, too, uh, was blown away by it. I heard, I'd heard a lot of the, the, the buzz on how good this film was. And oftentimes, if I am late to the game and I hear a lot of buzz, that perception does uh, sort of taint my opinion. And I, 
I give it less marks than I think it probably deserves. This one just destroyed that uh, old habit and it didn't have to die hard whatsoever. It was basically uh, incredibly moving. I ran out of liquid in my body by the end of the, the film, which is which is weird because... I so I a little history little history about little women with little me. Uh I had not fully seen any of the films before. I'd mm-hmm. seen pieces and I know baseline story points uh, mainly Beth. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, no idea where this was going oh, to go. Oh, that's interesting. And in my research since then, watching your video, looking at some other things, etc., it's so fascinating to see the choices that Greta Gerwig uh made in this to a make it feel incre- make this text feel incredibly poignant in 2019 um and i like i didn't know for instance uh until recently that the book was not set up in this we're seeing joe in the i guess we'll call it present day in in the film as opposed to past joe and it sort of bounces back and forth as this film does i think the only other version of this that this does happen and, and you can correct me if i'm wrong uh is the uh musical mm. i think the musical starts with Joe singing a play that she's writing, and then um, I'm blanking on the end love interest's name. Laurie? No, not Laurie. Professor Bear. Oh, Bear. Professor Bear, thank you. <laughs> then Professor Bear comes in and interrupts her, and then she's in this that New York classroom. Or I might oh, be wrong cool. about that, but so other than that, this seemed like very new territory to take this story, and I thought it was an excellent uh, way to go about it. Um, I thought the cinematography, and particularly, I know I'm always a stickler on this show for editing, mm-hmm. but the editing was so perfect for this that I never noticed it, which right. is, is what I think this story needs. You don't mm-hmm. need to be flashy. You don't need to be doing uh, any sort of uh, sort of post tricks in that regard, and I appreciated it because I never thought about it, and I was like, that means it's real good. <laughs> um, and, and, and lately, I've been, uh, a lot of films, I've just been like, why are they making these editing choices? And it was just nice yeah. to exp- have, a, have a narrative in cinema wash over me. I had an uh, absolute wonderful time seeing okay. it. Shahir, yourself. Okay, so um, one of the things that I'm always sort of thinking about a lot is the transition that a filmmaker makes from their uh, their breakthrough, mm-hmm. you know, their breakthrough hit, which for Greta Gerwig, who had been around before this, uh, obviously uh, in films like uh, Frances Ha and Mistress of America, um, and many others, um, you know, uh, Lady Bird was her breakthrough. Um, I am a filmmaker, an auteur of uh, of some note, right? Um, and it was, you know, I think we talked about this uh, in the when we did that review. It is an, a miraculous film, uh, Lady Bird. In, in many ways is Joe, um, you know, in some way that, you know, like, and, and I think, you know, seeing basically, uh, gr- seeing the idea that Greta Gerwig would take basically the archetype for who is Lady Bird and make a film based around that, around a kind of sacred text, uh, is, is a sort of, on one hand, to me, slightly, uh, I'm excited to see what she can do on a bigger canvas. And on the other hand, I'm also like, the thing that I think about is, what makes Lady Bird so wonderful is its specificity, mm. and it's it's the detail that she brings to every single scene in that film that feels unique and only something that Greta Gerwig could write. Sure. You know, like uh, Lady Bird opens on that you know incredible scene where they're dri- you know doing a long <laughs> drive through, and I think I can't remember what they're listening to. Maybe a tale of two cities. It, I think of, it's the grapes of wrath. Grapes of wrath, yeah. right? And then you know they they they're sort of having this incredible moment of bonding, and then it like slowly devolves into a fight to the point at which Lady Bird like jumps out of a moving car. And I think that's like an incredible 
um, not only um, uh, incredible opening to any film, but it's so uniquely the kind of up-down quality that you get with Greta Gerwig. And, you know, like if you think about a film like Frances Ha, you know, the the sort of she's lovable but manic and crazy, and but still, you know, like endearing at the same time. And I think that's this incredible like energy that she brings to this uh, to to whatever she's involved in. I have to say, uh, I'm somewhat familiar with Alcott's novel. You know, I kind of I'd seen Gillian Armstrong's version uh, many years ago, but I'd never really revisited it. Mm. Um, and and there was something about the first. It's specifically Marmy. There's something about Marmy in this film, in the first ten to fifteen minutes of this film, where she does come off as um, idealized beyond reality you know like she is this perfect uh, incantation of what a mother should be right um and and what i what i became fearful of in those first 10 to 15 minutes is the loss of specificity you know like the lo- you know like if you think about the relationship between ladybird and her mother in in ladybird you have this sort of really dynamic you know specific relationship mm. that is unique to those characters whereas laura dern's character you know marmy in this film kind of felt very um. Yeah, uh, carved out of stone, and so, you know, you know, like a statue, a statue in some way. Um. But but I think the thing that really won me over is the interplay between past present. Um. And I think the interplay between past and present in this film, um, you know, could feel like um. Uh, like a gimmick, I guess, in some way, because it's essentially combining the narratives of both Lady uh, uh, of Little Women and its follow-up. Right, the, the Little Women was initially two books, um, where it was initially when they were growing up, and then and then what happens to Joe after that. And the the sequel was published sort of um, somewhat begrudgingly by Alcott, who didn't want to, who, who was like, I don't want to see what you know, like what happens to Joe later on in life. And the thing that's amazing that I think that Gerwig is manages to do here and you know it's it's what's been written about is the idea that she uses this framework of past and present to it essentially creates a sort of osmosis between Joe and Alcott herself and by the finale of this film the 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 book little women becomes a living breathing text you know we actually see how this book comes into existence um and and we suddenly through this interplay of past and present, see why that's important. You know, because one of the things about Alcott and and you know, like the criticisms of Little Woman, you know, initial criticisms of Little Woman, the text is like it's 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 essentially you know, again, as I sort of mentioned earlier, fodder for sort of young girls, that sort of thing. You know, like it, it, does it actually bear any weight? And what what Gerwig manages to do by by doing this sort of trick of time jumping is she she makes the argument that it it absolutely has every weight in the world. You know, this is an important story about the role of women um, and 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 their friendships with one one another, and also how those friendships can imbue meaning on the world. There's a beautiful scene with Beth and Joe, or I think it's Meg and Joe, where they're talking about like um, do their you know like writing something gives it meaning. Or and and yeah. I think yeah. Joe kind of says writing something reflects meaning. Yeah. yeah, it's with Amy. Yeah, that's right. And 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 I think Amy says no. Writing something is what make is what makes it important. Yeah. Um. And I think that's what's incredible about this because if you think about you know like like your video kind of points out this is the fifth major adaptation. There is a you know there, there's many ways you can see this story. Um. So why do we need this particular version? Like, what is it about this particular version? And I think Gerwig kind of does this incredible magic trick here, which is that she 
get, she truly adapts the novel. You know, like she isn't just you know um, taking the words and putting them up on screen. She's putting them in a context that allows it to have meaning for where we are in the world today. And she kind of yeah. And it, by the, I mean, like my breath was taken away at the at the foil being ripped off the or being peeled away of the of the logo at the end. And it was like that's what you know, like it 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 serves. It's not just. Um, um, a case of translating the novel, it's actually giving the novel purpose for where we are today. And I, I, I was sort of, uh, my, my initial qualms about the, the lack of specificity that I was kind of feeling at the beginning of the novel kind of gave way by going, wow, look at the canvas that she was able to kind of work on in, in this context. And, and w- you know, like we talked about this in The Irishman, our, our review of The Irishman, which is like a, a massive canvas. And like how they're able to wheel that canvas into a personal narrative and how they're, you know, like Scorsese was able to do it there. And I think Gerwig demonstrates, you know, incredibly that she's able to wheel this massive story, you know, this massive, you know, important text into something completely personal and completely relevant today. And I think that's the sort of incredible magic trick of this novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And also, is- just, a, just a quick <laughs> side note, the, the, the scene where the book is being made <laughs> was like, I was... I don't know, maybe this is just sort of a bit of a side nerd quality of me, but I was like, oh, oh, that's how they make, like, I, I didn't, I like never, it takes forever. Yeah, yeah. like, to make oh one book. How do you make a thousand of these? And, yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah, they're moving the typefaces and stuff in the in the printing press, and I'm just like, oh my god, like, yeah, that was just uh, a nice little aside, a little fascinating aside. Well, I think what's really interesting and what, um, just sort of, like, historical context for thinking about ad- adapting a book like this, so when David O. Selznick was initially interested in doing this in 1933, part of what made the film so well-reviewed was because it was so similar to the book. Right. So in the 30s and in the 20s, many books were were adapted to film. But usually they were completely torn apart either like getting rid of things completely or like adding new characters or just emphasizing romance or what and whatnot. Mm. So nothing really looked like the books that people actually loved reading. So David O. Selznick's philosophy was, I just want this to to reflect what people are reading, what people already love. Right. Um, and that's that was emphasized again and again in the reviews and the fan letters was just like, oh my, like this is the book. Like yeah. I love yeah. the book and this is the movie and that's awesome. I yeah. love how those things are so related. And now what is so impressive is that this is the book, but it's also not. And that's what I think is so transformative about what she was able to do is just saying like, I can tear this apart, but have the spirit of it be so faithful yeah. to what people love about it. It was oh, so okay. I, I think and, and correct me if I'm wrong. This was also a, a, a callback to your video uh but it was that this is sort of a a myth of the text. Yeah. Yeah, which I loved that that was at an article or something or I forget if that was Yeah, I think it was in like a academic And I was like something. I was like yeah like that's it's, wait, wait, fill me. I, it's been oh, a while since I watched. Yeah, the yeah, video, yeah no, so uh, It was basically on one of the one of the um, one of the articles Izzy quoted said that that uh, Greta Gerwig's telling of Little Women reads more as a myth of the, the either the, what was it the well, creation it was, or the it was for the ninety four version. Oh, it was ninety four? Yeah, which um, I think what they're basically saying is like there are some revisionist elements to kind of make it that's feel what, more yes. like of a like a modern feminist take on this book, which was actually you know, meant for 19th century girls to read and understand that marriage is an important and necessary thing. So, um, you know, you kind of make little tweaks here and there to make it work for your audience. Yeah. And so it is sort of 
this it, the movie was made as sort of reading the subtext of what Louisa May Alcott intended mm. yeah. as opposed to like what is actually that yuck. Yeah. And so um you know Greta Gerwig does a similar thing but I think in a more nuanced way than the 94 version does. Yeah. I have you know there's a there's a thing you know again I've been watching uh, so I watched the Kukor version uh, with Catherine Hepburn um, and then I watched uh, part of the PBS miniseries um, as well and there's an amazing thing um, that in even in both versions even the one features Catherine Hepburn who's like a screen presence like no other um, is that and this is probably more noticeable uh, against the PBS version is that um, Gerwig's direction is 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 in a way very subtle. Like she does things that are very slight, um, th- th- that feel like a sleight of hand. They're not that sort of like typical "I'm a director" kind of moments. You know, they're very, very small uh, little tricks. But the the thing that kind of really just was startling to watch when I was watching all three kind of side by side was that how much she breathes life into this world. You know, like there's an energy and a propulsiveness to to the way that she tells little women that I think nobody has quite captured yet. Like it feels like. Um, uh, it feels pressing, you know, like you have to, they have to get through this as quickly as possible because they've got so much to say, mm-hmm. um, which is a quality that I, I, you know, I, I don't see in the Kukor version. I didn't see in the miniseries. I don't recall it being the case in the Gillian Armstrong version either. Um, and it's kind of amazing given, again, the sort of, just thinking about how to sell this movie, for example, you know, like it is, uh, you know, uh, 1880s kind of uh, yeah. tale of, you know, uh, a family in the middle, of, you know, like kind of just dealing with their with their issues. Like that's a hard sell, but it's it's such a pressing film, you know, like it's such an there's an urgency to everything that's being told here, which I think is like is kind of remarkable given, you know, like given what it is. And I, and I listened to some interviews with her and I think one of the things she talks about that I, I thought was really, um, really great was she was talking about how she wanted, though that there, it is a period piece and they're, you know, they're building these sets that are kind of huge and they're, they're recreating parts of New York, you know, like entirely. But she wanted the camera to kind of just like run through it as though it was as though it was nothing, you know, like because because that's the way these characters experience that, that world. You know, it's like, yes, we built this beautiful house, but ultimately we run through it, you know, like, and I think that's a sort of like, um, you know, the, the conversation around Greta Gerwig and her directing, um, now is becoming pertinent because, you know, she wasn't nominated by the Golden Globes. There's a great uh, clip of her throwing shade at some of the, uh, um, Oh yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She basically says, you know, like a, a bunch of voters, uh, met her outside and said, Oh, we voted for you. We really, really, uh, you know, wanted you to get in. And she said, clearly you didn't. Because yeah, it was, she, she arrived early at the, at the <laughs> Globes and she was sitting at the table <laughs> and as they were coming in, each one said that. Yeah. And it's like, well, after a while, yeah. uh, the math doesn't check out. Yeah, yeah. Hollywood foreign press isn't very big. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think you know that that the, the sort of we we sort of couch terms like auteur and directors in the sort of in the visual. I guess the visual language that they can come up with and, and how unique that visual language is. And, mm-hmm. and Gerwig's visual language is is very. Um, uh, brisk, I think, you know, like it doesn't feel very like uh, I'm doing something of major importance, but it's actually everything that she's doing in front of the camera that feels, you know, like so unique and so much of a uh, part of who she is um, that, that I don't think anybody, you know, I can't think of another film that's kind of doing that, especially with this text or with the text like this. Uh, the thing I thought about a lot, and it's it's completely unrelated. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> in terms of in terms of uh, the characteristics of the work, but I thought a lot about about uh, uh, Zack Snyder's Watchmen, uh, and I thought. <laughs> of, mm. 
Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought a lot about Zack Snyder's Watchmen in terms of like I think what you were saying earlier, the myth of the text. Um, you know, like and the way that that uh, Zack Snyder adapted Watchmen is very much like here is the mythology of the world that we're creating to the point where it just feels like it's kind of moments from that world. But then you know Damon Lindelof's uh, um, version of Watchmen that came out earlier, uh, you know, this year on HBO kind of does a similar thing to to what Greta Gerwig does here, which is that it's not just about uh, recreating moments in the text. It's actually about interrogating that text and opening it up and fleshing it out into a new way that is more pertinent. Um, but with, so, with giant squid. Yeah, with a giant okay. squid, yeah. <laughs> um, I yeah. haven't finished the series. I don't know what happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so I, 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 I'm sort of floored by this. I, I do have a lot of questions to, to sort of get into, I think, you know, with the specificity of this text. All right, I mean, uh, I think it's safe to say, I mean, there, it's doubly safe to say that we can get into spoilers now because, A, Little Women, but B... Uh, we've been talking for a little bit. We've been going round and round. Yeah, uh, yeah. What, what's your what's your first sort of uh, s- specific question, Shahir? Well, I'll read an email that we got this week uh, from uh, Tursman, who oh, is one of, my, one of my favorite listeners. Who's uh, for those who haven't been keeping up, Tursman has been reviewing uh, every episode of ours. You poor soul. <laughs> which I'm I'm not certain is absolutely the healthiest thing you can do, uh, but we do appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate your sacrifice. Um, uh, this is what Churchman writes. My question to you guys isn't about the movie itself, but more around the movie theater culture. The movie was released on Christmas Day, at least in the theater that I work at, but it performed horribly because of one thing, Star Wars. And as much as I tried to persuade some customers to give it a try, many were likely more likely to go watch Star Wars. Do you feel that this is because the brand name of Star Wars is because people are more tentative towards movies that aren't specifically geared towards their tastes. And Wait, did it perform badly? No, no. Uh, no. Little Woman is actually performing very well. I, I, think start- I think he's talking about the specific day of, of release of oh, when okay. it was released, right? That seems like the... Well, and also, I mean, uh, you know, Let's uh, take a look. categorically, Star Wars is probably underperforming given the expectations mm-hmm. for the, what that film is. Mm-hmm. But I, th- this question from Tristman actually kind of raised uh, a thought that I had in my mind, which was um, why wasn't I pushed to read Little Woman as a kid? Like why? Why are? Um, why is this tick sort of uh, sort of demarked as specifically female? Because I, you know, I have a I have a four year old son, and I was thinking about this, uh, thinking about him a lot uh, as I was watching. And I was like, I think he would love this, mm-hmm. and I think I would hope that I, you know, as we got older and he started reading, that this was a book that we kind of talked about, and you know, like engage with but I, I wondered you know like and, and this sort of brought me to this uh, you know I was thinking about that Friends reference as well uh, in season three of Friends there's an episode where Rachel and Joey switch their favorite books uh, and one of them, they, they each have to read each other's favorite right, books. Right, right, right. Oh. And the, you know, the thing is, is that Joey has never read Little Woman and he's never thought it was a book that was sort of like for him and he gives her The Shining um, mm. and so and I was like why why do we make that sort of demarcation about this particular book? Because the book actually has a really, um, the book and all the films have a really interesting thing to say about young men and young women and the relationship they have. I think one of the interesting things that I've noticed like reading it is that the the sort of, the symbolism of uh, these two houses, you know, Laurie is a, is a young man without a mother and uh, the girls are temporarily without father. And they kind of find this unity in that sort of uh, in that binary that they kind of come together with, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not bound by being a man or being a, a woman. They kind of just they're brought together. But I, I was curious about that question. Well, sort of tying it back, I guess, to to Tersman's original thing about the um, on on Christmas Day anyway, why that was sort of the case. And I was just looking at numbers. Sorry, side note: Little Women has already doubled 
it's more than that doubled its budget uh, on box office mojo i actually can't find the full budget for rise of skywalker which normally i mean it's making a ton of money there's no question yeah. it's like 930 million or something at this point but it's weird to think of that as underperforming but i think it actually it kind it of is. is yeah it is um so so I guess statistically or percentage-wise, Little Women is right up there, if not more, I think, successful based on the numbers we're throwing at it from the beginning. As far as, like, to your point with this, Shahir, as well, how... Uh, things just uh, as we as we grew up in the and I'm gonna make uh, generalizations here. I was a I was born in '82, so I'll say when I was growing up in in that time period. I mean, I know for a fact that my parents, both of them, who were very good progressive people, did not uh, it, it push me in any direction that would be something uh, feminine. Not because it's a it was a, a bad thing or the, the the texts or whatever weren't good, but because they just had it in their mind of oh, uh, Matt's a little boy he's gonna want to look at the little boy stuff go watch the he-man movie which i love the he-man movie but that's not that's neither here nor there um so i think it's it's definitely generational i think it is shifting Mm -hmm. slightly um and as far as the star wars thing is concerned i mean i think that's the it's two parts one it's that baked in sort of you are you are in whatever gender lane your upbringing throws you in um you're going to be put in that direction uh and then two um, it is just the 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 mouse's reach is large, and it is filling theaters. And no matter what, and as I said in the Rise of Skywalker review, this uh, that film was the first sort of dent in the in Mickey's armor. I feel like in this, where it's not not everything that they put out is is going to be met with uh, in, incredible praise because it's getting a little bit. Uh, well, th- that's a different discussion. So the point being, it's both. It's the it's the fact that the media is throwing Star Wars at us and the discourse, especially like on film Twitter and all that jazz, again, before Cats, was all <laughs> Rise of Skywalker yeah. and then also just sort of the lanes we were thrown in. I mean, I think it's definitely a combination of things. I think it part of it is that gender lane, mm. but also part of it is that gender lane exists in part because we don't think domesticity is important right. mm. or that domesticity or the matters of a young girl are as important as what an adult man can do. Right. And so that is never going to be prioritized over many of the books that I was made to read in middle school and high school and all of these things. They, you just don't think about it because right. why would you when you have to read a separate piece? <laughs> you right. know, like um, I think there that it's just a consequence of decades of literature being dictated by the same group of people and the same type of person. Um, and I think we're seeing that now. I mean, there are so many debates about like whether little women is for men. And I mean, I think that conversation is like kind of ridiculous, but it's, it's evidence that that's true, that, that, um, that that has impacted the way that we think about the stories of women and specifically the stories of young women. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it is also that it is the fourth one. Mm-hmm. Our generation has that memory of the of the 94 version, mm-hmm. which was so beloved. Yeah. Um, and then Disney ramming things down our throats. <laughs> uh, but it makes sense. I mean, if it's the, the end of a trilogy that has been building for years. So, yeah. of course, like, I understand if people are going to prioritize seeing that over a story that they already are familiar with. Like, it makes sense. But at the end of the day, we know which one is better. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And, anyways, and it, it's it's odd because I think ultimately the Star Wars narrative is repeating narrative. You know, like it is in, a, in you know, I think one of the arguments about Star Wars is that it, is, it has this sort of... Uh, 
cyclical kind of nature to it, where it is actually yeah. just repeating the same story over and over again. And and you know, you could make that argument about Little Women, which is that it's literally repeating the same story over and over again. But there's something about the the way in which this story is actually creating a sort of context for how that story is being repeated mm -hmm. in a in a way that makes it relevant you know in a star wars is repeating the same story over and over again by shuffling characters around in the thing little women is telling the same story over again but refocusing like re not not while the plot points are the same what the film determines is important based on the time that it is made and the audiences that it's trying to get to is entirely sh not entirely but but drastically enough shifted yeah. and i think that makes it feel far fresher than a story we've already heard in two trilogies beforehand just with new characters I um, think what's yeah. really it's actually really interesting that these two films are kind of out simultaneously to me mm -hmm. because on the one hand one like star wars when the Force Awakens came out was kind of like it's a big deal that Daisy yep. Ridley was the lead because you know like oh my god a female lead in Star Wars like whoa, whoa. but um, what's interesting about that franchise is like that almost makes literally no impact on her character at all no. yeah. it never comes up it never ad adversely affects her life to be yeah. a woman. Like she just can live freely and be fine. Yeah. And it's never going to be a problem. Yeah. Whereas little women is explicitly addressing mm -hmm. what it means to be a woman in the world and how to live with, you know, certain disadvantages. And so I think it's, fascinating that these two things are just kind of paired against each other or one is like almost completely ignorant of gender and one is like explicitly aware and trying to unpack it that yeah. that, that uh, i think uh, i'm not sure if this is in the book or not um but uh amy's speech to laurie when they're in paris mm. where she says you know like she essentially outlines why she's kind of giving up painting because she doesn't think she has enough talent which is you know interesting out of itself but then she kind of makes this argument about like well i need to follow my you know aren't uh aren't what is her name? Aunt March? Aunt March. Aunt March. Uh, yeah. Aunt March. Yeah. Uh, Aunt March's advice and, and marry well. because And she. I think the line she says is, don't tell me that marriage isn't an economic uh, proposition because it certainly is. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like that is the, the sort of, again, that specificity to like being a, what, what being a woman actually means. Um, and then it's kind of counterpointed against this, this beautiful story of Joe retaining ownership of her book. You know, like it's, mm -hmm. it's like, it's that idea that she does, you know, like, um, uh, Professor Bear doesn't really matter uh, in yeah. the narrative of Joe in this film of of making her own way, and I think it's it's a, it's a really telling. I think that 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 is kind of key to what this text is about versus what you know. Yeah, like as you say, like doesn't matter that Ray's a girl, and it, and it only matters so much as who her parents yeah. are. Apparently, it only matters in that <laughs> if she were a boy, she wouldn't have been able to kiss Kylo Ren. Yeah. Because like right. Disney would never have allowed that, right? And that's it. <laughs> I want to bring up a quote from uh, Greta Gerwig, uh, who wrote about this in Vanity Fair, uh, specifically to the point that you made about like is domestic, you know, like is narratives about domesticity, for example, uh, as important. She says, uh, "I still think that we very much have a hierarchy of stories. I think that the top of the hierarchy is male violence, man on man, man on woman. If you think, if you look at books and films and stories that we consider to be important, that is a common theme, either explicitly or implicitly. The line about it's just." Just about our little life, taken from a correspondence from Louisa May Alcott, had about the book. Um, oh, is taken from. Uh, she truly wasn't sure that it was a very good or very worthy, and she dismissed it when questioned about it as moral, moral pap for the young. And I think you know, like that point about we do have. I think um, 
both, you know, economically, you can just see this with in terms of the films that actually make money and are generated, designed to make money, and you know, designed to bring in that four quadrant, you know, kind of film, <laughs> film going audience. Particularly, um, was it uh, males eighteen to twenty four are the the biggest piece of that quadrant. Um, they tend to be films about you know violence, about you know male on you know like uh, you know hurting other people. Yeah, and this is not a film about that, and this is you know, but it is. In a way, more relevant to most people's daily lives than 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 I think we would sort of consider, uh, given that it's a film about 18th century women, you know, dealing with um, you know the the matters of domesticity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's really fascinating. There's, I, there was another quote from um, Greta Gerwig that I want to play uh, eventually. Maybe oh, we can. We I can mean, I have that queued up whenever you want, buddy. Well, this is sort of more related to the idea of whether Little Women, uh, n- not just in terms of like, is a story. Um, you know, like fits into that hierarchy of story, but is a story for men. Mm. Um, and I think maybe we, let's play it and let's talk about Laurie a little bit because I think it's an interesting uh, counterpoint to this. So the whole book, Joe Joe says, I want to be a boy. And she says it the whole time. She's like, I should have been born a boy. I want to be a boy. And um, there's lots of ways to read that. But but one one way is just that why wouldn't she want to be a boy? There was literally nothing women could do in the 19th century. Nothing. They couldn't do anything. They, they had no options. Why wouldn't you want to be the person who had the options? Um, and Meryl said something. She said, women have all kinds of practice imagining themselves as men. We do it all the time. And as, as, as readers, as um, moviegoers, um, you're always projecting yourself into the the, the headspace of a male protagonist, and it's really fun to do it. Um, and that there, on the flip side, men do not have quite as much practice imagining themselves I- I- as women. The, the, I mean, starting from the, it's not their fault. If starting from the time they're little kids, the, the, they'll, they'll be less likely to be taken to a, a movie about a girl. Um, and that sort of not being able to imagine that is um, something that I think is being changed right now, which I think is uh, excellent. Um, is that kind of being able to take the imaginative leap into the um, into the space of uh, not just the feminine, but uh, the space of another uh, of another narrative arc. Um, I think it's happening, and I think that's wonderful. And I think that Louisa actually conceived of something like that because she can, had a feminism that was not exclusionary. It was, a, it was a rising tide that lifted all boats. She could see already that Lori Lawrence is just as happy to put down the masculinity stuff and come be a March sister. I mean, that's, he's the, he, he wanted to be one of them. And, and how pleasurable that was and how needed it was. And so I think, um, I think that's to say that that, 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 um, that act of imagination is something she already knew. It's something we're coming to. And it's the thing that movies can do. They're empathy machines. And so I'm hopeful. I love that quote. I think it's incredible. And... Um, I mean, I have always believed that to be true. And I think, again, if you want to think about it in like a historical context kind of way, 
Um, especially so many of the films that I love are from the 30s and 40s. Yeah, right. Where you know you have a female lead, where depending on what hat she buys, yeah, like her fate has changed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's so important, and like I think watching so many of those movies when I was growing up, sort of, you know, gave me the perspective of saying like, holy, sh- like your life can change for the smallest decision. Yeah. And even if your world is so small where you don't have a job or like you're just serving to like live for your husband or mm. something like that, that is, that's your world. And it should mean everything. And I think uh, there's sort of a lack of the weight of that or like a lack of understanding of the weight of that from like a wider audience just because that's not you know it is fun to like talk about war and gangsters and all these things that are seemingly more high stakes but at the end of the day something as small as like whether you left your your glove behind can be just as high stakes for a person and i think um you know having to like forcing people to learn how stakes can be relative but similarly as high is really important there's an interesting sort of and and i i know this to be true though i will butcher all of the ways that i know it to be true that like emotional weight or let's even let's even uh, knock it down a little bit but like uh let's say emotional let's say sadness like a, an, mm-hmm. an emotion like sadness um it, it, there's an interesting thing where sadness let's say there's two different people and someone's uh, beloved relative passes away and they're they're very very sad about that so that's person a sadness ought for another person person b um uh let's say something if we were looking at a range of what we would consider less sad let's say um uh, i won't even go with something with another death or like a pet or something let's just go with like they missed out on a job opportunity they were really excited about Mm -hmm. something that's interesting from a psychological perspective is though outsiders could look at that and be like, well, obviously the sadder thing is losing the relative. Um, Both people, depending on their life and how they've gone through, are still experiencing probably the same physical emotions of sadness. There's no like, well, that one's more sad than this. So in that framework, um, it, it, it is... Like going back to like the the speci- the specificity of like smaller things, either in in women's lives or even even from a narrative perspective, like it doesn't matter that if oh well that is considered smaller next to a war, <laughs> like yeah. it's still going to have that same emotional resonance if you tell your story and you make your characters, which Little Women does, have rev- reverence for these specific things. Um, I'm I'm curious what in the film was where those because I have a very specific one for me, but what was the moment for you where the stakes felt high? Oh wow! I got one if you if you need yeah, time to think. Yeah. Um, the moment when and it's funny because it's kind of the meta moment of the film, right? It's when Joe is at the publisher's house. And I, side note, I loved that they kept going sort of back to that a lot more than I thought they were going to. And she's negotiating the deal, and she finally gets the deal and gets the book published. Something happened to me there. Mm. And it was it's funny that the uh, the Greta Gerwig clip that we played it all sort of comes together. Oftentimes, I I can't remember the last time that a film uh, that I like <laughs> a, a cis white male was so emotionally like that that flow state in a film where I felt I felt like Joe, mm-hmm. and that's a weird sort of 
thing to say because uh, that's not something where even in this is this is a weird thing I thought about even in very good female-led films but but uh, they they have not gotten me to this sort of flow state of like feeling like a, like I'm I'm empathetically inside the character I'm watching. Let's take our first podcast which we always go back to Fury Road. Furiosa, <laughs> awesome fucking character. I never and I loved watching her. I loved seeing her journey, but I never felt like I was Furiosa in that in that context. That could mm-hmm. be conditioning, that could be whatever. But for some reason, the way this story and the way that little women played, when I when I finally got to that point, for me personally, I was already in it. And I didn't even realize I was until afterward. And then I sort of thought about it. And I was like, that has not happened to me yeah. often. And it was just such a lovely different feeling much like Greta Greta says uh, in, in that quote that you know women do this all the time they because that's sort of where the, the a lot of the stories that they're told uh and it was just it was it was a weird but beautiful sort of like eye-opening moment for me because I realized I for, from a female character perspective I I can't name another time that that has sort of happened to me hmm. um and it was awesome like I I don't know that was one of the the best moments for me uh experiencing the film I think there are a couple of pivot points that are extremely high stakes. Mm-hmm. So one would be when she realizes she's not going to Europe. Yeah, that yeah. Is, that's, that's like, such a betrayal. I was like, how could you? Yeah, it's just a loss of like the hope of yeah. freedom, yeah. Yeah. which is devastating. Yeah. And then another is when she refuses Lori. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's sort of, uh, you know, it's the film has made it clear that mm-hmm. her freedom of like, living well yeah is tied to Lori yeah. at that point mm-hmm. and when she refuses that it's a very it's very much like oh no what's gonna happen to her and then I think the third is after Beth dies where the past and present are finally merged yeah. in the film because it's so unclear where she can go from there because yeah. her family's not there it's still in those kind of cold tones yeah it's very um it's it's lonely yeah. and it's very um almost desolate in a way and I think that felt very high stakes for me because, you know, you're just not, you're not sure how she's going to actually succeed in her goals. And that's that's scary um, for her, who has very few options. So. Yeah. Is that where she says the line uh, women can be so much more? Um, but and I can't remember the, the the pivot point of the line, but the 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 second half is, but I'm so lonely. Yeah, it's the, it's around that. It's around, around that, that part. Yeah. And then Laura Dern, ha- uh, Marmy has an amazing line there, um, which is something along the lines of. Um, this is it's sort of it's perhaps Joss Whedon riffed it from here, but but you know it's like this is one thing you don't realize about me is I'm angry all the time, but I've just learned how not to show it. <laughs> she says that after um, Amy almost drowns, right? Yeah, right. Because yeah. it's like because because Joe is so angry at that point, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's also around the period that uh, Amy has burnt Joe's manuscript, which I was yeah. like I was mortified at that moment because I really like to me. So, so the 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 things that really resonated for me was Joe the writer, um, and and this idea of Joe reaching for this like uh, this idea of of being an artist at some point or being able to tell stories and like, and it's not just a proposition that is about writing things that have meaning. In fact, in fact, 
she almost doesn't care what the meaning of things are that she writes. It's an entirely economic proposition. She's like, mm-hmm. I want to be able to write in order to make money in order to provide for my family. And, you know, like, Gurig has this sort of amazing, uh, c- again, moments of osmosis, but, you know, like, the, 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 there's the stories of Alcott, uh, who was a seamstress by day, you know, coming home to at night to write, and then her hand was so tired from, uh, from working all day that she would switch to writing with her left hand. And, you know, there's a moment where that happens in this film. So when uh, Amy burns the manuscript, I was like mortified. I was like, I couldn't believe that that had happened. Even though I know that, again, as far as the Little Women text goes, that's like one of the mythic moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the moment that really struck me, and it actually brought a tear to my eye, was when Professor Bear is critiquing her work oh, for the yeah, first time. Yeah. And he says, I don't think this is very good. And and you initially you're like, you know, she says, uh, uh, Joe says something along the lines of, I can't afford to live on on the merits of high praise alone or something like that, mm-hmm. which again is not in the book. It's actually Louisa, uh, Louisa May Alcott said that to Henry James, who was re- re- reviewing her novel. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, <laughs> Because because initially I was like, who is this asshole? Who does he who does he think he is? And then, but he says this 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 line that like it actually just brought a tear in my eye. Uh, he says, "Has no one ever talked to you about your work seriously?" Mm-hmm. And 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 I and you realize that what he's saying is like, uh, you know, because she, she she sort of goes off on this sort of rant about how you know who do you think you are and and you know like you will, uh, you know, critics don't write and that sort of thing. But what he says is is that I, you know, I don't have the gift that you have. And my job isn't to be the writer. It's to take you seriously. And and I believe that, you know, I take you seriously enough to believe that you can do better than this. And I was like, I that like really, you know, that struck a chord with me because it's like, because, you know, th- this thing that she's been like tottering away with, you know, writing that her family kind of loves and enjoys and Beth kind of says, everyone loves your stories. And she puts on this play and it's entirely frivolous. She's suddenly seen as like a legitimate artist, you know, even though he's saying, I think your work is bad mm-hmm. or I don't like these stories. He's, he's, what he's actually saying is, I think you're good enough to do better at this. Yeah. Uh, and that, that was a moment that just like really, uh, I you know I was like really affected by that moment. Mm-hmm. This might be one of the first films about a writer <laughs> that I like. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, historically I dislike most stories about writers. I I find it a little bit uh, just not. They never connect with me. It just seems a little too into its own its own thing. Um, but this, and I didn't even think of this until we just had this discussion. Like, this is a story about a, I mean, yeah, one of the main well, characters. Well, it is and it isn't. Like, writing is kind of a MacGuffin in a way. Yeah. Yes. Of like. But maybe that's why I'm not, like. It's I, not really a story, but it kind of is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, a, it's a story with the writer as a main character, where I guess yeah. the writing is not a real. Well, at the end of I don't, it, I don't it kind know. of is I, I kind of think that the, the it's know. not, it, it's a film about, uh, what writing means. You know, like what, because writing is ultimately the thing that creates a sort of worldview for Joe to kind of inhabit. You know, like it's it's a process by which she goes through. And ultimately, then the film kind of takes on this meta quality, which is that writing is the thing that united us all to be in this theater at that moment. You know, like it is kind of beautiful in that way. Writing is the vehicle Joe uses, but it's not, it's not the point of the, it's like. Yeah, it's uh, like she could have wanted to be like, a doctor. Yeah. Yes. And it would be like 
a I similar mean, thing. It's yeah, weird because yeah, Amy right. has to like free herself, and it's yeah. that struggle that's actually. Yeah, important. Amy has that similar, you know, artistic uh, uh, aspirations. You know, like she's talking about being a painter, and again, it's hard to gauge from the film. But like you know, like she seems to be a, a pretty a, good a, painter, a, a perfectly capable painter. But you know, like it's you know, there, there's that sort of beautiful moment where she's uh, she's learning. Oh, she's in a in the park. Uh, in a, no, she's in a class, uh, and yeah. she looks at her yeah. painting, which is like beautiful and ornate and detailed. And then she looks over at the other student, who's like almost cubist in a way and it's like yeah, it's you, like it's like an impressionist yeah like she realizes she's missing the moment that she doesn't have like the creative oh, genius yeah she actually i thought yeah. it was the other way around which was that I, I what i took in that moment was that she she was too good for this you know like like, oh. like she was oh, far no. beyond what what was being taught at this moment and her work you know like she was far more capable i think she's seeing that she she's taking the world exactly as like this is what it is yeah and then but she's seeing that other people have a vision that yeah. she yeah. doesn't have. That's huh. how I took it because it's like it's yeah, it's that sort of like artistic flair or style that's just like yeah, I can I can paint a a relative photo accurate thing, but I'm just sort of like showing the data. Yeah. Whereas this is like the other painters are doing the emotional resonance, oh. and she's like, well, shit. Well, like, I looked because I looked at the other painting and I was like, well, that's crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's just rubbish. <laughs> um, something I, we've been we've been singing this film's praises right. uh, left and right. There's one thing that didn't connect for me, mm -hmm. that I think I figured out why, and I don't actually think it's the film's fault. But I wanted to talk it through with people uh -huh. to, to sort of do this. So you brought up, Shahir, the burning of the pages. Mm -hmm. Okay, Again, I was not familiar with the minutiae of little women going into this, so I didn't know any of this was coming down the line. Up until this point in the film, the sisters are all very supportive of one another they have their club they're doing plays they're you know they're they're living their lives relatively together and i didn't remember at least up to that point much strife between any of them with the exception of when meg and joe i think that's correct go off to a ball and and mm -hmm. um and uh amy wants to go and they're like no no you can't and they're running around kind of funny a little bit in a way like be like no 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 and then like they leave and then that being the catalyst to burn the pages I was like, wow. I was like, that escalated quickly. Like, especially in the time period when it's like, it's not like she printed those things like on a <laughs> printer in her house. Like, she that's the only copy of her novel that she's been working on for a long time. And so when that happened, I was like, I, I instantly was like, fuck you, Amy. Like, what <laughs> the shit? And and I, I two reasons why I think that didn't work for me, but I think is still accurate to what the film is saying. One even though all of the actors in this film do phenomenal work, they, when they're younger, they still look older than I think they're supposed to be young. So when Amy is acting, uh, the actress from... Um, Florence from, Pugh. Yeah, Florence Pugh from uh, Midsommar, yeah. um, who does a phenomenal job, she's acting very young, but she looks still <laughs> yeah. kind of her age. So I was like, this is a little bit weird. And then two, I am an only child. <laughs> and... I don't have what I would consider, this is sort of the way I went through it, but like the shorthand of sibling like back and forth or if like, oh, well, someone did this. Well, I'm going to do that. Like, yeah. and that's from people that I've discussed and I'm asking the both of you because I don't know if you have siblings. Is yeah, it? I do. And Shahir, you do. Yeah, I do. So like it, that's an accurate thing, right? The escalation of something like that is a true-ish feeling, right? Like that's. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. It's like it's like prison warfare at my house. When <laughs> when when like someone broke something of someone else's, it's like we're going to war. Yeah. You know, like right. or even. But uh, like what I love about this is that it's 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 the 
it's the dismissal of Amy's feelings that's enough to take her to war. Yeah. You know, like it's yeah. like we are going to town on this thing. So again, yeah. it's funny. My one gripe of this movie is not actually a gripe to the movie. It's just something that I could not connect with because I didn't have the shorthand in my own life to understand that this is of course this is how it plays out. Right. Yeah. Um but anyway, that was literally I don't know, did any did either of you have any other like even minory? Well, sort of just like tangential before yeah. we get to the minor things. Yeah. Um I this is the first version that I really felt like captured what it's like to have a big family. Okay. Like I only have one sibling, but yeah. you know, I had several friends who had multiple mm. and I always felt there, there was a difference between, you know, someone coming over to my house versus someone Got versus it. me going to theirs. Sure. Yeah. There's just a different energy. It's like a tornado. It's yeah. <laughs> chaotic, you yeah. know? Um, and so I really felt like how delicately she choreographed each of those scenes and how each of the, the siblings were kind of talking over each other was so well done. And I never really got that sense hmm. from the other ones, but I think, I mean, it's also a stylistic choice where, yeah. you know, you wouldn't have talked over each other in the thirties and forties, right. maybe somewhat in the nineties, but like, uh, that was just so it's, wonderful it's, to me. If you read the uh, screenplay, it's actually in the script. Uh, it's yeah. sort of noted that they, that, uh, she does parallel dialogue in the script and she puts um, hyphens where the other actor is supposed to start speaking. And so you'll see these like... Um, and they uh, these, rehearsed it. Yeah, they rehearsed That's it. That's great. So you'll see like in, you know, Joe will be saying something and then hyphen, Mig is supposed to start here and they, they'll be talking over each other. And there's like, if you look at the script, it's all dual and, you know, triplicate dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, which And it's, it's amazing that it's on the page. It's not like uh, we rehearsed this and kind of came to it. It's like, this is what how she conceived of the thing from page one. Does Greta Gerwig, do we know, have a large family? I'm just curious if that sort of came, that energy know. that you're talking about yeah, sort of know. came from that. Or it could just be literally have, being friends with people who have large families. Sort I, of I, don't, kind of. yeah. I, I don't know, but I, again, like, you know, watching the PBS miniseries um, versus this version, regard, wherever it comes from, there's this urgency and sense of life to the family. Yeah. I, I would even argue, like, this is a weird thing. Um, aesthetically, the PBS version looks nicer, in my opinion. Like, it's actually a, a very beautifully, you know, I, the way I would phrase it is it's handsomely shot. Mm. Uh, but it has that quality, I think, that, that Gerwig is, like, really striving to go against, which is that we feel the weight of the production design in the PBS miniseries, whereas in this... The it feels like we're throwing away the produ production design, even though it's there. And I think it's that that sort of the interesting quality she has that I think you know when we're talking about uh, the best directors of the year or thinking about you know directors this year, you know we th I, the thing that comes to mind is Bong Joon Ho and his use of style mm -hmm. and you know and his his visual language and his, his sort of choreography of camera and moment. And I don't think Gerwig is does that, I, but I think her her contribution as a director is equally if not more important because her her connection to style has to do with how does this moment relate to what is happening on screen yeah i think her style is just more rhythmic than yeah. it is visual yeah that's what i think is like interesting because earlier i think you said something like she doesn't have a very heavy-handed yeah style which i think i mean she kind of does but the magic of it is that it's it never feels not, that way it yeah. doesn't look that way yeah. right it's just it's so meticulously rehearsed and designed to net to feel like it's natural, and mm. I think that is just—I mean—that seems like the hardest thing in the world to do to me. She yeah. knows what she knows what's important to the text that she's written or, or working with, and she moves all of the production around it to that point. Yeah. Uh, 
Can we talk about one thing that I think is is a sort of interesting uh, thing that I felt and was sort of interested in? And I think for me, it was a is sort of an element where I was like, I'm curious where an adaptation could go to either deal with this or address this. But th this film doesn't necessarily need to do that. Sure. But it's to do with race. Um, and it has to do with, you know, inevi in, in, inevitably the whiteness of Little Women. Sure. Um, and, and inherently the whiteness of Little Women is nothing, you know, that's no major issue. That is that is the worldview that this, this book comes from. But Alcott is an abolitionist. The, the, the backdrop to this story uh, is, you know, the, the Civil War. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is the idea that, that um, you know, it is about the, the basis of slavery. Um, and, you know, and the re again, the reason that I thought this was interesting is that in the manga adaptation, um, the, the miniseries, which I actually watched a couple of episodes, there is an entire narrative where the, the women, uh, where the family is hiding a slave. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, they have this entire, because, because the, the relationship that they have to the war kind of becomes foregrounded in some way. And I think I, I can't re quite recall the Gillian Anderson version, but I feel like Susan Sarandon's character in that version has a lot more to say about this. It comes up a couple more times yeah. than it does in this mm -hmm. one. Yeah. yeah. And there, there is one African-American character in this particular version who didn't appear in, in other versions, but she's, you know, just kind of side, uh, a sideline character. But I was really curious about the the way in which potentially you know because of what the backdrop is to this film this film could deal with that question of race and and i guess in many ways the question of what poverty actually means to this family because i think one of the things that you know this family is is that you know like the, 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 this film kind of uh, employs or you know discusses the fact that there is an economic quality to this film. It's about money. It's about getting money. But they are you know like as Gerwig herself describes, and I think many other people describe, is they are the gen genteel um, impoverished. They are not the you know the the, the, the rich. Yeah. yeah, they are not the richard. They're uh, not the hummels. They're not the hummels exactly. Yeah. Um, and and there's a, there's a sort of funny quality to the to the story uh, again coming from the book, which is that every act of kindness that the that the marches display is rewarded you know like which is which is yeah. every single time they do something nice it is always rewarded and acknowledged you know yeah. like whereas i think the the sort of true mark of um of uh, of wretchedness and poverty is that it doesn't matter what you do exactly it yeah. sucks um but there's a there's a quality to this where i was like I, again i was just thinking about the backdrop of this and you know like when when father returns from the war the the war does, you know just seems like this event that's going on but alcott um was an abolitionist i mm -hmm. believe her family or either she or uh, some part of her family were actually station masters of the in the underground railroad mm. um so they were like heavily invested in this idea that slavery and you know like racial inequality is sort of foreground and I, again this film's doing a lot, you know, like, I, you know, it might just be like too much in the stew kind of thing, but it's sort of interesting to think about, um, you know, uh, the, the quote that, that Gerwig has is that, you know, fem feminism is a boat, uh, is a tide that lifts all, uh, ships. lifts all ships, you know, and I, I was sort of just, it, it played in my mind a little bit, you know, the, the sort of backdrop of this film. Mm. I, I think it's interesting because if you're going to do, and this is just literally my opinion, so everyone could take it as it is. If you're going to do a story set in the Civil War, it's in Civil War time, and not have it in America, yeah. <laughs> and have it actively not really engaging with the war, you better be saying something important and in does. what you're doing. Yeah. And this does. Yeah. And therefore, 
I never yeah. even had I didn't give it a second thought about that. It it did sort of there's a hundred percent is in the background. And there's uh, three or four lines actually. There was one particular line I forget if it's from one of the the daughters or Marm, but they say something like, "Yeah, it's a it's a it's a blemish on our society, and we're we're this, we, we need to we need to pay for it." Or yeah. like, there's some there's some there's oh, some. She's like, I. Sh- sh- uh, she's like, I'm ashamed of my country, and she's like, you sh- should still be ashamed of your country. Or something. Yeah, there's yeah, something yeah. along. There's a yeah. few. There's a few of those lines. So yeah. it's there. It, it, I think this film does the minimum of being like, yep, this is what's going on. But it also because of the the context and 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 what the point of this film and the importance the, of the point that this film is trying to make. I didn't. I didn't really. I I would. Yeah, and I don't think you are either. But I I, I don't. I didn't think it was a, a negative. At all that it didn't sort of engage. No, and it's 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 certainly it's a film uh, that knows and understands the lane that it's trying to go down, and it's it certainly succeeds in doing that. But I, you know, that that sort of uh, I, I was just thinking the potential of what this story could mean in terms of inclusionary politics. Right. Well, the, I mean, I think uh, I think it would almost be a disservice to sort of like shoehorn this other theme that's, that's, in. Yeah. That's where, like, correct as well. Like you sh- could address it, but it's not going to be correctly. It would feel like service you yeah know I, think, what I mean yeah. and so like i i think the criticism especially that's that has been happening on film twitter which i'm sure you guys oh yes following is like i don't think it's necessarily like that little women is being made as like a white film so mm. much as it like there's a problem that this is the fourth time that this has been made that there isn't some corresponding equivalent that addresses the mm. stories of women of color mm. so it's like the problem is that these studios just aren't investing that the that little women and the term woman has largely just meant white women for a right. really long time. Yeah. And like I I fully agree. Like, you know, we need to broaden the types of stories that are told. So it's not just, you know, thinking about Louisa May Alcott all the time, but like who who is a writer from that time period, like an African American woman or like mm. an Asian woman that you could tell that story instead you know yeah. and like why aren't we green lighting those um yeah. so i i understand it i think it's just like a big it's a big s- picture structural and, studio yeah. level problem and we're also you know like uh, we talk about this but we don't want to level that problem at this film at no, this singular a, film yeah. because because i mean the, you're pitting marginalized groups against each other yeah right? exactly yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah, just, yeah. it's like mm. yeah um <laughs> the I want to read uh one more email that we got uh from our friends over at Oeuvre Busters. Oh, hello. Uh, uh, Liam and George. Uh, George was on our episode about the lighthouse. Uh we're hoping to get Liam on at some point. Also, uh Oeuvre Busters are now uh doing a uh, a new series. The previous series was on uh, the first series was on Cassavetes. The second was on uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. The third series is gonna is on Batman. Uh, <laughs> I'm not and, wearing hockey pants. And the and the history <laughs> of Batman in cinema. Um, myself and and this is from Movable Busters. Myself and George have been chatting about the reading of Joe as queer in Little Women and it being more pronounced in this version. This is interesting to me, and this is writing from Liam, uh, because in the scene where the French professor, uh, Professor Beer, notices Joe, they are in a theater watching Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, a play about disguises and pretending to be a man when you're a woman. The line that reads most clearly to me from Viola, disguised as uh, Cesario, is that how you say it? Yeah, Cesario, I think that's it. Write us in an only movie podcast. (laughs) Um, And sent to woo a woman her master is in love with, who says, then you think right, I am not what I am. It's a very queer play. I think the juxtaposition of Beat looking at Joe and hearing the line adds something poetic and beautiful to the story, and I think it might be a cool thing to discuss. Is it mm-hmm. a cool thing? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I, f- I really, I mean, this is probably because Catherine Hepburn is just 
Yeah. I mean, to me, like the queerest person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I always, I think that she makes Joe um, the queerest of like the, the four. The four films, of them. yeah. Um, and I think it's partly just contextuals because, mm-hmm. I mean, saying I want to be a boy in 1930 mm-hmm. doesn't mean the same thing as I want to be a boy now. Yeah. And I think, you know, they, in, in a way, like you can kind of say that again and again in 1930, and it's not going to imply anything yeah. in the way that it would in 2019 so um or 2020 now oh Um, oh yeah (laughs) there's that amazing scene in the kukor version Mm -hmm. when i think it's uh mig is going off to uh meet her suitors or something like that is that right and and Catherine hippin kind of like comes up behind her and she's like i can't believe you're leaving me yeah you know like i think that to me is like this it's not you know obviously she's not thinking of her that way but she's thinking about the the fact that she will be alone in a world that where she doesn't want to be married, she doesn't want to be, right. and then that's kind of clearly what the the story about Laurie really is, mm-hmm. right? You know, like yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm curious about this reading of of Catherine Hippen as as queer in that film. Yeah, and I think I mean it's just because a lot of the I don't know stereotypical things that you might read as queer are like. Mm-hmm just given to Catherine Hepburn. She kind of carries herself that <laughs> yeah, way yeah, yeah. where like, you know, she's always running around and like jumping and like punching people. Yeah. And she's just like a very physical actor. Yeah. And, um, and so to me, like, you know, when she chops off her hair, like one of the next movies she does is Sylvia Scarlet, where mm-hmm. she is literally playing a boy. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of, she's always read that way to me. And I, I don't think that Greta Gerwig necessarily like emphasizes that, but, I think it's it's just inherently part of the text just yeah. because of, you know, like, I don't know why I can't love you like that as mm. a very, like, baby gay kind of yeah. thing to say. <laughs> um, and so, like, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always read it that way, but I don't know if... And also the, the way that this structurally, this this version ends... With the with the way that the, the the book being published by Joe and the thing is a little whip and like and the text of like going back and forth with the publisher being like well she has to get married and she's like ah no he doesn't and like back forth back forth then she's like fine and then the movie cuts to the version of Joe just getting with Bear yeah. and it's like oh yeah like this is just like this, this is, is a, the movie it's obligatory it's yeah. obligatory the movie is literally telling you like well. But like, I think the interesting thing that that Gerwig does there is it's not satisfying. The most satisfying right. thing is 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 Joe getting the contract to keep the rights to yep. a book and, and going op- through the house and then. starting yeah. the house. Yep. Yeah, you know yeah. that is the most satisfying thing. Bear, I think, like he barely registers by the end of it. Oh, you know, good, good pun. Beer barely registers. Barely read. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Should have rolled. It was a mediocre pun brought down by my calling it out. We'll keep moving. Uh, but he barely registers by the end of it. You know, like you, yeah. you, you sort of don't care that he ends up with her. You know, like it's sort of odd that he does. It's kind of like you know when you make your Sims kiss for the first time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it's like it's like that music plays, and you're like, oh my god, this is so melodramatic. But that's what their kiss yeah. feels like. And yeah. It's just you know it's not serious, and I love that. Would we say it's the bare necessity? Wow. Oh, Come man. on. <laughs> you're really you're, work, you're working on this one. Uh, Can I do one last thing before we go out? Sure. I want to Hollywood pitch a cut to this movie. What do you mean? I want to I want to pitch like in the worst possible way because I know this is a sacred text and this is and and the pitch that I'm about to make 
is the worst possible pitch. Okay, question. And now that we're role playing here, yeah. are Izzy and I studio execs that you are coming in? No, you are okay. Gerwig and Gerwig, or Robin okay. Sc- Robin Squiff. Swicor. Yeah, she yeah. wrote the original. Who produced? Uh, she wrote the nineteen ninety four version. Who pitched I on see. this? Okay, 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 okay. So okay, we're all I, there. I, I call Greta. Okay, okay. that's fair. I'm gonna be Have you guys seen Barton yeah. Fink? You know, I'm the producer in yeah. Barton yeah. Fink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I was like, okay. I want that Barton Fink genius. Thank you for coming in, Shahir. We really appreciate. No, no, you guys coming into my office because I'm greenlighting the film. Wait, what? Oh, 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 you're oh. the executive producer. I'm the executive. We're... Got I see. it. Okay, okay, so you thank okay. us. Can we get rid of Mig? I was going to say... <laughs> okay, the Can one... we get rid of Mig? <laughs> okay, so I watched this again yesterday. Yeah. And there's one... The one Let's... scene, I was like, I wish you cut that, yeah. was where um, she... Meg is outside with her husband, and she's like, I already sold... The fabric, yeah, yeah. and he's like, "No, and it's okay." Like, and, and she's like, "I'm happy because I'm your husband." And I was like, "Cut it, Just yeah. get it, get out of." But I, I honestly like functionally. I know that this is the the book is about the ensemble of these four characters, yeah. and they all mean something. And like the, the interesting thing is that um, is the idea that Beth is the one who kind of gets sacrificed for not sacrificed, but literally sacrificed for Joe's ambitions. Um, but Mig is the one that comes out to me as um, not serving any function that other characters already serve. So Amy gets the beautiful speech about mm-hmm. uh, about the economic value of marriage. Aunt Marsh uh, also gets that, you know, also gets to give that speech. Essentially, Meg kind of gets to serve a sort of perfunctory, you know, reiteration of that point. Jo- Joe well, is the audience cipher. Beth gets to die. Like, th- there's and like... Here's the I other thing. Here's think the... Meg serves an important purpose. Okay, tell me. Yeah. And today it's climate. Okay. Because I think, like, there is um, sort of this impulse to accuse, like, liberal women of, like, hating marriage. Yeah. Or, like, hating certain institutions that are more traditional. Yeah. And so by giving Meg specifically that line, she says, just because my choices aren't the same as yours doesn't mean they aren't important. Yeah. It sort of serves not to demonize marriage because it is still a valid choice. Yeah. And so you can simultaneously use Joe to kind of challenge these systems while also not saying like, you're bad if you don't, if you choose to do this. Yeah. But does Amy get to do that? So, so my point, my point right, here but is that's what it's good. It's like all, all no. they all kind of cover. Yeah, yeah. And and my point here is that to me the film was like strongest or was was most profound when it was Amy and Joe. And in in a way, I was like, and then and then I started like extrapolating in my head. I was like, could Amy be big? Here's could the, Amy die? Here's the thing. And and Joe have to live with that because because Beth. You know, and the book has this beautiful sort of thing about like Beth being uh, the character in the corner of the room, and every family has a Beth that is, you know, like is the most important, but the the one we seldom talk about. Um, and you know, like in the in the film, they say that she's the best of us. Um, but but I was like, oh, I wonder what this film looks and feels like. Hollywood executive type. Uh, if it's a two hander between Joe and Amy, here's the deal. I think the film that we all just discussed is that version. I think they give Meg the the bare minimum to sort of bring up, Izzy, what you sort of said, like that the intrinsic sort of lines that, yeah, you know, if you, it, it, it undercut Meg, and again, I have not read the texts, but I it felt that way. It undercut Meg the most, and therefore I felt like they did the amount of shift that they could in that without completely axing one of the 
the Little Women. She's like, also like the biggest, like potentially the second biggest movie star in the movie. True, right? you know, it's yeah. like it's a, um, uh, <laughs> and I think it's also important, sort of like the scene you were talking about earlier, where Joe Joe watches Meg go first. Yep. Yeah, and that is where Joe is confronting adulthood for the first time in a really consequential way. Um, and so without her, it's just kind of like. You know how does she how does she discover that unless yeah. it's just like being proposed to I guess you know what's interesting it, it uh, this has probably been discussed far before I just came to this recollection about this text and this film do the other three sisters sort of represent different forms of loss for Joe so so first and foremost Meg getting married and leaving is the institution sort of kicking the can down the road of time being like well this is what women do go go go. Uh, then next, I believe, would be Beth. And I, th- I think it would be Amy and her and well, her Amy the, the, and her decision to not pursue her artistic. No, also, well, but that doesn't really affect Joe. So I'm I'm, I'm going down how the, the the other three sisters affect Joe. Then Beth's death, of course, affects Joe in the way that death affects us. And then finally, and in a in a uh, what I really liked about this text and, and the film itself, when Amy comes back married to Laurie, mm. and that sort of the last loss of. Uh, even though it, it, she turned him down and like there's that whole thing but like then there's that sort of like maybe I'll go back even though you know it's not the right choice because she is lonely it's that last undercut of loss of sort of like this is the end of the the, the I mean I'll use this as a global term my youth mm. I've gone through these three things so the other little women are the stepping stones of loss for Joe or or just change for Joe that then push her to sort of be to be successful in in this particular version being the publisher and starting the, the house and, and whatnot like that's kind of how I see them represented uh, I don't know if that's a if that's a common read and I just thought of it so uh, <laughs> well maybe maybe this is the other way to put it is who which character do you think you are I'm Aunt March You're right. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would want to be Joe yeah I think I'm. Are you Meg or Amy? I'm probably Meg. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Meg. I know. Oh, wow. <laughs> what about you, Shahir? Uh, I obviously want to be Joe. Uh, every, yeah, every, everyone like, wants every, to be Joe. Like wants... Saying you want to be Joe is like I want to be in Gryffindor. Like, it's yeah, just, yeah, like yeah. you kind of can't say that. But yeah. then the other options are like kind of like mm. yeah, yeah. I have a little path. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. This has been the only podcast about the film Little Women, uh, asterisk in that text somewhere. Izzy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Uh, I'm glad. Uh, Where can folks find you and your wonderful content uh, at Be Kind Rewind? Uh, I guess if you just go to YouTube and type in Be Kind Rewind, I'm also at BK Rewind on Twitter. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Shahir, when you are not... Telling Meg t- being me to shut up. Where can <laughs> folks find you? Uh, it's a family guy, right? Like, that, that is a family that, guy that reference, a family yes. Guy, I think so. I guess in that text, I am Peter, um, which you can find me Ooh. on my website at www.shahirdad.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are the least relevant character in in, uh, <laughs> in any text, mm. uh, where can people find you? You can find me crying outside Laurie's house, uh, having my <laughs> knuckles being wrapped at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits uh, this week on the game side. We're doing stuff on escort missions and why they should work and make us feel empowered as heroes, and they don't, and how we can fix that. Uh, and also, uh, we're wrapping up the Policing London series, our, our 
Lives episode where all the stuff we got wrong came out. Rob, our writer, does a great job there. And next week, uh, the Friday after this comes out, we're starting our six-parter on the Haitian Revolution, mm. which is fascinating and terrifying mm. and uh, an awesome historical story. Uh, so please check that out. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. So Did we ever answer the question of how little these women really are? I, 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 we didn't answer that question. I they're mean, average really... size women. Sersha seems like five eight. Five eight. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was thinking that the entire like the reveal of this film would be that we pull back. It's a snow globe. <laughs> it's like a snow globe. And they're trapped. And they're and they're really little women. So it's just a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Yeah. And it like it's like little. List how little were these women? <laughs> really little, as it turned out. It is quite. Snowy I'm gonna leave now. Bye bye. All right. Bye everyone. Great. Great ending. Bye. Bye. <laughs>